This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see you here today. About two-thirds of you figured out the time change. We'll see what happens here in about 30 minutes. We can all get a, get a good laugh out of you. No, I'm just kidding. Well, bless you. If you're a guest here, we're glad to have you here. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand up real high. Our ushers would gladly get the Word of God in your hand. If you're listening or watching by live stream, we welcome you today. I, I really, really encourage you to get a pen and some paper and get ready to write today. We're going to dig into the Word of God. So we will begin this morning in, in 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so as you're turning there and getting ready to get into the Scriptures, your and my commitment to Jesus affects every area of my life. My commitment. So if I was to ask you, how committed are you? And you looked at me and responded, kind of. Again, that's not real good, okay? It's kind of like in a marriage covenant. If you ask me how committed I am and I said kind of, you'd say, well, just what kind of marriage you have? Well, what do you think? And so the reason I'm highlighting this, my commitment to Jesus is a day-by-day commitment and it has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Not just here on this earth, but eternal consequences. Now, I, I'm just going to warn you today, it's, it's going to be in-depth pretty good on some areas because I, I believe to a degree this is the times we're living in. So strong warning here as we begin in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly, explicitly, or even to make it clear says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. They will give up on the faith. The doctrines of their Christianity, the the different translations says they'll turn away, they'll fall away, they'll abandon the true faith. So when you see here in these latter times, some will depart from the faith. In order for me to depart from the faith, I must have started with the faith. So he's warning us here that in these latter times, This is what's going to begin to happen, that there'll be ones that will depart from the faith. Why does he say this? Giving heed or following after, chasing after to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, when I read that right there, it's like a strong warning that there's an invasion of these spirits of darkness that have a desire to delude the word of God, to seduce believers, to entice us away from uh, long-held principles of the truth of the word of God. And the word delusion itself means an incorrect interpretation of reality. Unthinkable terms. And some people would say it's a thing called progressive thinking. Now, highlight again there that there will be ones that will depart because of these deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So in order for this to happen, where does that come from? It comes from the devil, but it manifests through people. 
through the teachings and the deceiving of de demonic entities. Strong warning. Now, one of the reasons I'm on this is because I, I had an experience happen to me on Thursday. And I had a young man that I've known since he was a little, little bitty fella. He grew up in the church. And just out of the blue, he called the office and asked if he could come see me. Well, I talked to him just for a little bit. And man, he, he sounded urgent. He sounded desperate. And I said, yeah, come on. Well, I'm thinking, man, is he suicidal or what? Now, I hadn't seen him in years. So he strolls into my office, and, and it's very apparent within seconds he's, he's on some type of crazy drug. I mean, his eyes are all over the place. So he comes in and he, he talks, not, not jokingly, not speaking in crazy terms. He speaks for 15 minutes, just rambles. I mean, just, he's everywhere. And I'm thinking, what is going on? So I said, wait, wait just a second here. Why did you come to see me? And man, he just starts talking again. So finally, I interrupted and I looked at him and said, here's what I think. I think you're extremely confused now, when I said that to him, he exploded. He didn't tell me how great of a pastor I was. He started throwing the F-bomb at me. And I looked and said, stop, stop. And he keeps going on and keeps going on. And you know what? I began to realize this was a kid at one time who had knew the things of God but there's an unleash or an invasion of darkness upon our society right now. And he is so twisted. And the twist that I'm seeing take place is things that 20, 30 years ago we would have said, that, that's, that's unthinkable. My mind couldn't even fathom these things, but yet now we're seeing this take place. And so I believe this is not only a, a part of the Bible that needs to be preached. I believe this is the times we're living in right now. How many of you in here are seeing or hearing things that you thought, I, I can't believe this? And so it's strong warning. And he goes on in verse 2 and says, they will speak lies. They will be professional or habitual liars in hypocrisy or theatrical performance. And they're having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, every one of us in this room, we have a conscience. And that conscience knows right and wrong. But when I continually turn my back on the things of God or I shut God out of my life, Ultimately, that conscience becomes seared. And when you don't have a conscience, you're going to get into extreme stuff that's crazy. You, you put my name in there, your name in there, and this is what this is talking about. So thus is the time we live in. Now, the next several weeks, you're probably going to hear me reference this passage over and over again because there is strong warnings. i got to stay with the Word of God. I, I got to stay with the Bible. Now, when I talk about staying with the Bible, you speak truth to people, you're going to face opposition, okay? When you tell people the truth of the Bible, get ready. There's going to be the majority aren't going to applaud you and say thank you. They're going to drop the F-bomb on you probably, okay? You might as well just get ready for this. This is the time. We so again... Don't get your feelings hurt when this happens because this, this world is funneling like this rapidly.
Go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. The prophet Ezekiel. And, and the reason I'm going here is, one, it's a wake-up call that Ezekiel did thousands of years ago. But not only is it a wake-up call, I, I want you to begin to see the, the true job of a minister. Someone that's in the ministry. I, I want you to see their outline on what they're supposed to do. Ezekiel 3, verse 16. And as you're turning there, I, I want you to highlight the frequency of the word warn or warning that's given. Watch this over and over. Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, warning from me. And give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, you do not tell him the truth nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity or his sin, but his blood I will require at your hand. You know what he just said? You better warn him. You better tell him the truth. And if you do tell him the truth, you're good to go. But understand this. My job is just to tell you the truth. It's up to you how you respond. Verse 19. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, he does not repent, nor from his wicked way, not just his wickedness, but his wicked way, the way he lives, he shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. Verse 20. We'll take good notes right here. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits an iniquity or commits sin, I got stopped real quick. I'm, I'm getting real quiet here. When a righteous man turns from his righteousness and goes back into his sin. So for a righteous man to turn from his righteousness, what qualifies you and me as righteous? 2 Corinthians 5.21 I am the righteousness through God in Christ. So was he telling us there? Have you turned from your relationship with Christ and you've run back to a life of sin? And he goes on to say, and I lay a stumbling block for him. He shall die because you did not give him warning. You shall die in his sin and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. The right things you've done, they won't count for anything. Now, I understand reading that. That may blow some of your theology if you read into what he's saying there. Warn them, warn them. Keep reading. And shall not be remembered, but his blood shall be upon your hand. So again, my, my job is to warn. Verse 21. Nevertheless, 
if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. So if I read into that correctly, my job is to tell people, do not sin. True love tells people the truth. True love is not true love without the truth. Turn a few chapters to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. It's amazing to me in the society we live, when you tell the people about the truth, they get offended. I'm going to another church. Ezekiel 33, verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way or to change his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to them, say to them, tell them to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgression or our sins lie upon us and we pine or waste or rot away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and turn, turn. And when you see the word turn, turn, on three different occasions, he warns them. And the word turn there means... Repent. Repent from your evil, for you should do or for you should die, O house of Israel. Now it's interesting to me, it's almost like it's repetitious. Over and over and over, he's trying to drive the point home. This is the job to do is to warn and to warn. Keep warning. Why? Because there's eternal consequences. Same chapter, verse 17. Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. The way of the Lord is not right. The way of the Lord is not accurate. We've advanced into a thing called progressive thinking. The word of God is outdated. But it is their way which is not fair. It's their way that's not right or accurate. Verse 18, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. So better stated, when good people turn from living good lives and plunge into sin, they will die is what it says for. And so one translation says in this effect here, the relationship is terminated. When I look at this passage here, I, I could take you, if we had time, to Hebrews chapter 11 and 38 and 39. It says, God does not take pleasure in ones that draw back. They don't draw back. They don't turn from God. So what you begin to see in here, God is an everyday God. 
This thought of me walking down this aisle and giving to my heart one time and saying, I got born again and now I can live however I want. That's not what he's talking about. Verse 19. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful or right, and right, he shall live because of it. And so he gets born again, verse 20. But you say the way of the Lord is not fair, O house of Israel. I will judge every one of you according to his own way. And so one's destiny may be determined by the choice of that day. Now, when he says this here, God's way is not right. It's not right. Well, you can think that way. You can believe that way. But understand again, God's going to judge you. He's going to have the final say. Turn with me into the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. So what we begin to go in where we live to this day right now, society will increasingly reject the Bible. You're going to see this more and more. So because society rejects the Bible, the Word of God, do I reject the Word of God? And I want to live by the word of God. That's, that's how I want, to, I want to live by the word of God. Grace says, Father God, to live by your word. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins or darkness or disobedience. That would be me. He made me alive because I was dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2. In which you once walked, lived, or habitually walked according to the course of this world. Now, when you see the phrase, the course of the world, the world tells me how to live. And I listen to the world how they live, but the world doesn't have a clue on how to live. So he said, in which you once walked according to the course of the world. You allowed the world to tell you how to live. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who would that be? That would be the devil. He's the God of this age or the God of this world. And so my life was dictated by the prince of the power of the air. And he goes on to say, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience. How many in here had to take any courses on how to live in disobedience or to live in sin? I, I, I never went to school to learn how to sin. I never went and said, you know what, I'm going to sign up for, for lying 101. I didn't say, hey, you know, this next week, let's take that crash course on how to be a great thief. So what happens here is that the way we're born, our nature is that of sin, and I'm going to continue to live in sin. I'm going to go in that direction of the course of this world until I give my heart to Jesus. And so this is exactly what he's talking about. Now, when I read this, I'll put me in here. I, I under, This was me, but it was also you. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Yes, I did. 
And this thing called the flesh, man, it pouts and it cries and it says, I want, I want, I want, I want. But it wasn't just my flesh. He goes on to say this, and of the mind, the mind, the imaginations, the thoughts, and they were by nature children of wrath just as the others. The inevitable end of the sons of disobedience is what this is talking about. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, praise the Lord, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Now I've had people that said right there, God's always loved me. He loved me even when I was a sinner. That is correct, he did. But oftentimes they say, he loved me while I was a sinner, so what difference does it make how I live because he loved me? And so what ultimately happens is with is we begin to twist the scriptures and he says, even when we were dead in trespasses, but he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. So when you see that you were saved by grace through faith, it wasn't anything you did. It was because of the grace of God. So oftentimes, this is the words that begin to happen. Well, God loves me and God graces me so I can live however I want. No, that's not what he was saying. And this is where we get into bad trouble as human beings. We have the thought, God's okay with how I live. Well, the Lord Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, Obey me. The proof that you love me is that you obey me. He didn't say, if you love me, do whatever you want. Now, I'm going to dive into something. Go with me to the book of of Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 24. And I'm going to go somewhere here with this, and I I believe this will really help us today. Just to see the, the truth of the word of God in this area. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What was he talking about? He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he said, no one knows it. Man doesn't know, the angels doesn't know, Lord Jesus said, I don't know. He said, the only one knows it's the Father. But he doesn't say that day's never going to come. He said that day's going to come. There's going to be an eternity. So we highlight again this morning, there are eternal consequences. What I find out in my Bible, that you're either going to live eternally in heaven or hell. And some people have this thought that everybody goes to heaven. That's not true. Some people have the thought, good people go to heaven. That's not true. Only people that receive Jesus as Lord of their life and they live for him, they go to heaven. So he's going somewhere with this when he says, the reality of eternity, it's going to happen. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Passion Translation says, it will be exactly like it was in the day of Noah. The second coming of the Lord will be exactly like it was in the days of Noah. 
So if you think in those terms right there with what he said, history's going to repeat itself. So how was it in the days of Noah? Well, let me give you just a little bit before we jump to another passage here. Verse 38. Or, yeah, verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were at banquets, they were at parties, and they were at wedding feasts. So is something wrong with that? No, no, nothing wrong with that. Verse 39, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So it was swift and it was sudden. So what's he trying to tell us there? People get so accustomed to to banquets and parties and marriage. So they're going on this thing called life as this is how it's always going to be. There's never going to be an end to it. There's never going to be any consequence. So you know what? I can do whatever I want. I want to live however I feel like it. But again, when this day occurred and that flood came, it was swift and it was sudden. I'll give you a little insight on that. There is no second chance when that day comes. It's over. Do you believe that? I believe this with all my heart. This is what's going to happen. So to really understand as it was in the days of Noah, go back into the Old Testament to Genesis 6. And we're going to study the days of Noah. We're just going to go in there and look and see, okay, what were some of the attributes or characteristics in the time of Noah? So I'm going through there, and man, I, I, I tell you, I, I love to dig in the New Testament. So I'm reading along there, and I get to chapter 5. And there's a guy named Enoch in chapter 5. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God... And the only other thing that I can find out about Enoch was in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 5. It said, Enoch pleased God. Enoch is one of two people in the Bible that, in my paraphrase edition, he did a Peter Pan. What do you mean by that? He didn't die. God pulled him out of here before it took place. Anything bad. And so when I begin to look at Enoch's life, it says that his life was relatively short. You know how old Enoch was when he got out of here? 365 years old. Relatively short. You know what it highlights in this chapter? That when God got him out of here, It was a blessing that he escaped the earth's consequences. I believe we're going to see that more and more. You're going to see godly saints getting out of here. Don't freak out on it. Don't don't mourn and grieve over it. Why do I say that? Well, the apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, he said, To die is the gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. I tell you, we, we, we've missed it in this sense that when people go to heaven, yeah, we ought to mourn because I'm not going to see them again physically for a little while. But man, they're with Jesus. 
they depart. And so I'm, I'm just highlighting a little bit what went into Noah's time. So we pick up now in chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass, and that often reveals trouble, that when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and many believe this was the descendants of Seth, saw the daughters of men. And the daughters of men, many believe, were the descendants of Cain. One was godly, one was ungodly. And that they were beautiful. Man, there have been beautiful women around a long time. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive or put up with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Now that statement is right here in, in the early part of the Bible. It takes us to Galatians 5.16 that says, if you, walk, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you know what he's telling us? I'm either going to live by the spirit of God or I'm going to let the flesh dominate me. Woo. Keep reading. Yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, when you study that 120 years, he told Noah, he said, I'm going to give you 120 years before I destroy the earth. 120 years to see mankind repent and change. Verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, they came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of the renown. So when I begin to look at this, this is what comes out of it. The descendants of Seth married the descendants of Cain. And so what took place, it weakened the good influence. In other words, you took the godly and, 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 and married the ungodly, and then they begin to have children. So what happened it was the good influence shrunk, but the, the bad increased. It increased. A, a godless society began to increase, and it was an explosion of evil. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, the majority of the time we use that in a marriage covenant. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't marry an unbeliever. That is true. You know why? Because they change society. They change the children. But when I begin to study that statement, don't be unequally yoked, it talks about even in business. It talks about in your friendships and your relationships. You know what it says? It says, do not have a mismatched alliance. You want to hear my paraphrased edition of that? You run with the snakes, you're going to get bit. Oh, no, no, pastor, I can do it. No, you're not. You're going to get stung. Don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you have ever been involved in business with someone that wasn't godly, and you look and think, thank God I'm not in that no more? See, this is what this is talking about. And so the Bible was given guidelines here, and he's, he's given us history here that when godly people marry ungodly people and they have children, you're running in a chance that they're not going to live godly. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts, the imaginations of the thoughts and the mind of his heart 
was only evil continually. You see, the, the degeneration of the human race is what you're seeing. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the reason he was grieved and sorry, not that he created man. What broke God's heart is man never lived to the aspiration that God had for him. He's like, man, I wanted you to be so blessed. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I, I don't know about you, but th this, this statement is incredible to me. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he find grace? Or better yet, how did he find the grace? Keep reading verse 9. This was the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect, blameless, or had integrity in his generation. And Noah walked with God. The grace of God empowered him to walk with God. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked God for this, but I encourage you this right now. If you have a desire to walk and live for God, grace me, Father God, today. Grace me to walk with you, God. Now, when it says he was perfect, that doesn't mean he was without sin. It does mean, however, that when he did blow it, he would repent and he would stay right. In other words, sin bothered him. I don't know about you, sin bothers me. When I was a sinner, it didn't bother me. I actually enjoyed sinning because that's what sinners do. They sin. But when I got born again, that, that inner man, that conscience on the inside of me, it began to stir. I don't like to miss it, and I know when I miss it. I, I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit to keep me right with God. So this is what it's talking about. Now, keep reading here because this is going to get really good. And Noah begot three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Not Curly, Moe, and Larry. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Some of you don't even know who Curly, Moe, and Larry are. Those were the three stooges. When you see Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they weren't listed in order of birth. They were listed in order of righteousness. Now, when I've studied Shem... All the great men after the flood, they would study under Shem. Shem was a champion for God. But when I look at this, why it highlights in here his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the reason some of this says that the favor or the grace of God was on him, now buckle up here, okay? The reason God's grace was on him in incredible ways is God knew what he would teach his children. You're either influencing or being influenced. God knew that this guy named Noah would model what a godly daddy looked like. And that's so big because that's how the, 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 the children go. As the father goes, almost always that's how the children go. I can take you into Genesis 18 with Abraham and before God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, I, I can't destroy it without first telling my friend Abraham. And it went back and he said, I'm going to tell Abraham because he's going to instruct his children on how to be godly. 
So in this time right here, when the whole earth is corrupt and filled with violence, it's all wicked, this one man says, I'm not only going to walk with God, I'm going to train my children to walk with God. And think about that in our society right now. And I'm, I'm not throwing stones. at Man, we, we, we need the grace of God on our families, our homes, our daddies. We need something to happen. And, and I can highlight that because in Malachi 4, he said in these last days, the heart of the father would return to the children and the heart of the children to the father. Something's going to happen. Something in the, in, in the spirit realm is going to start happening. And you know what I believe is going to happen? I believe godly men are going to start rising up just in incredible ways. And they're going to walk through life just like Joshua did in Joshua 24, 15. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my, and I'm going to model it. As for me and my house, my wife says, we're all getting up and going to church. Nah. God's getting ready to do something that's going to move in our society. I believe that with all my heart. And so right here, he highlights these four boys. And then in verse 11, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. It, this amazes me still. Every direction he looked... He was surrounded by corruption and violence everywhere. But yet he walked with God. And so this is what's beginning to happen in our society, that, that more and more it's shifting where we're seeing this. We're, we're surrounded by so much ungodliness, but it doesn't mean i got to cave in. Doesn't mean I have to allow the, the world to influence me because this guy becomes the blueprint on Man, just serve God. Live for God. Verse 12. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so the, the behavior of people, it deteriorated rapidly. There was no reverence for God. There was no fear for God. So the progression of sin looks this way. Every one of us as human beings, we have a sense of what's right and wrong. So on the inside of us, when we get over into sin, it starts in the private life. We don't want anyone to know because we have that sense it's right and wrong. We don't want, we don't want any shame for it. But the longer a society and a people continue to grow in sin, and that sin roots in you and it becomes habitual, it's now become accepted as the normal, and it spills out into the public. And people applaud. It's okay. What's the matter with a little sin, just as long as it's ever now and then? And so this is what began to happen in Noah's day right here. That the whole place got corrupted. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, the, all, the, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So what happened here is 
in God's eyes and God's standards. And I want to highlight this. In God's eyes and God's standards, they became so immoral they forfeited their right to existence. I, I didn't say in society's eyes. I said in God's eyes. That God looked and he saw this. And so when they forfeited their right to exist, again, when you study what took place, man, when that door of that ark closed, there was not a second opportunity. So I go back and I highlight again, this is some of the stuff the prophet Ezekiel said, man, you got to warn them about it. you got to tell them about this. And so I, I can't give in with the times. I can't bend to the times. I can't allow society to tell me what's right and wrong. i got to live by the word of God. And I will highlight, I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. When you make a stand for the truth, whether you verbally tell someone the truth of the word of God or you live it, get ready. There will be opposition. Understand, even a lot of Christians, they're not going to applaud you. They're going to... You interpret that, okay? And so I'm not in trying to win a popularity contest. I'm into saying, you know what? we got to come to a place where we love the Word of God. We stay with the Word of God. Even when opposition comes, I stay with the Word of God. I must live obedient to God. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience, still disobedience. And so here today, have you departed from the truth? See, it's very easy to exchange the truth of the word of God for a lie. Well, this is, this is what the Supreme Court passed, so it's got to be okay. It's only okay if it lines up with the word of God. That's it. And so in these areas right here, there's a warning, strong warning. I, I got to stay with the word of God. Stay with the word of God. But let me ask you this right now. Is your prayer that, would it be to say, oh, Father God, grace me to walk with you. Grace me to please you. Grace me to walk for you. Live for you all the days of my life. And so again, when we look at this, there's eternal consequences for every one of us in this room. I didn't get on this much today, but there's a thing called generational stuff. And we all have some form of generational iniquities or sin that's handed down to us. I don't care who you are. You have it. It's been given to you. But listen, you, you don't have to live that way. So when I talk about generational stuff, generational iniquities, it literally means this, that when you get born on the earth... You're going to bend or you're going to be twisted in a certain way of behavior that was handed down to you. Normally, it all comes through the Father. This is all uh, Exodus 20, verse 5 and 6. The iniquities of the Father will be handed to the children, to the third and the fourth generation. But he says in verse 6, I give mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and obey me. So what begins to happen is when there's generational stuff, not only do I go in and I repent for the sins of my father, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather, and some people say, well, that's not fair. Well, what's happened is because those sins were never repented of, they multiply in strength. And so if you're down the chain of ways, three and four, it's strong. 
So in my life, there was a generational sin called alcohol. When I was a young man, I would hear him say, he looks like his grandfather and he acts like his grandfather. I knew what that meant. My grandfather died in the early 50s of alcohol. He drank himself to death. So I understood. That was handed down. I began to bend in that direction. I didn't know any difference until I found the truth of the Word of God. And I said, you know what? Number one, I don't have to be dominated because God's Word says this. And number two, I don't don't want that junk going down to future generations. That was the significance of what Noah said to his sons. It was significant. I'm going to serve God. Why don't you stand up here? Ooh, I'm getting on some things that I need to say. I want you to know the heart behind when I teach on the Word of God. So I'm, I'm reading about this great man of God who's, who's gone home to be with Jesus. 2004, he wrote this, and he said, As we approach the end times, you're called as a minister to correct, to rebuke, and to exhort. As we get closer and closer to the end times, he said, you'll find out that the majority of the time, you will rebuke and correct. And I thought, oh, happy day. Oh, Lord Jesus, not what I want to hear. Do you know what he said? He said, your job as a minister is to preach the word of God and you will see there will be times people will get very uncomfortable. He said, that's not because of you. It's because of the word and the Holy Spirit goes to work in them. You know what he said? He's dead now. But he warned and he said, I'm telling you, young ministers, the day will come when you'll feel like most of your sermons that you preach are negative. I felt that way. You can ask Shelly, there's times I go home and I say, I I don't want to preach that. I I just want to tell them, "Mm, God's love. I, I just want to tell them good stuff all the time. And I can sense right now the times we're in, and there's got to be strong warnings and strong warnings because the, this, this wave of these seducing spirits, and they're not playing. So today, you may be here and you say, man, I need Jesus. Today, you may say, I'm one that needs to turn. I need to repent. You may be here to stay and say, I've gotten off track off the word of God. You may be here today and say, man, I'm going down there today. I need fresh grace to be a man of God. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to please God. And so as they begin to sing, I welcome you to come down here just to say, Father God, fill me up. Help help me to be a godly man. Help me to be a godly daddy. You know, this this may sound strange to you, but two of the greatest questions I have for men to this day right now is, Pastor, I want to be a godly husband. I don't know how. I, I want to be a godly daddy. I don't know how. Who allowed Jesus to shape you, okay? Go ahead and sing, guys. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.